We're in week two of our series, Guardians of the Family. And uh, it's not easy raising kids in today's society. There are so many things that uh, are working against the family. Young families today feel overwhelmed, uh, unsure of, of what to do. They feel concerned about the well-being and the spiritual development of their kids. And uh, this really is a tough time. And I feel, I feel for the parents uh, uh, in this generation trying to raise godly kids in an increasingly secular environment. Uh, as I mentioned last week, there is a war of worldviews that is taking place right now in, in our culture, and our young people uh, are being bombarded with more information than they can possibly process. I'm reminded of the speech that Nehemiah gave to those who came uh, back from Jerusalem uh, from the Babylonian captivity. Uh, the city was in a shambles. The walls were destroyed. Their defenses were down. Uh, they were vulnerable. vulnerable. They, were, they were tired. They were discouraged. The will of the people was, was wearing thin. And, you know, Nehemiah needed to encourage them to stay in the fight. And I want to read you the words that he spoke because I believe they're as true today as they were 2,500 years ago when he spoke them. Nehemiah chapter number four, verse 14. He said, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And I believe that's what we need to do today. We need to fight for our families. And uh, this, is, this is one of those moments when moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, we need to come together and really fight for our families. So let's pray together, if we could. Fathers, we open your word today. God, I pray that you would speak to us. Uh, Lord, these good folks have come to hear from you today, not from me. So God, may I just fade into the background, and God, may your word be proclaimed. God, may your Holy Spirit open eyes, ears, and hearts to the truth that we're about to receive. Uh, Father, I pray that you'd be glorified, that you'd be pleased with all that's said and done. And uh, God, I pray that you would help us to raise godly kids in a secular uh, society. Help us to raise young champions for Christ, for your honor, for your glory. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Nehemiah assessed the situation and it wasn't really promising, but I just love what he said. You know, we got to fight for our families. In verse 14, he says, don't be afraid of them. And, uh, you know, it can be scary bringing kids into this world. In fact, you can, you can almost say, I'm not even sure I want to bring kids into this world. It's such, a, it's such a corrupt place. It's such a messed up place. And I understand your concerns there. But let me say that uh, we are not people who live in fear. We are people who walk by faith. And we have courage. Are there dangers? Yes. Is it a messed up world? Absolutely. Are our kids going to face some challenging times? Of course they are. But we are a people who walk by faith and not by fear. There are over 100 scripture verses throughout the Bible that tell us that we should not fear. I just want to share three with you this morning. The first you're going to know very well, Psalm 23 uh, says this, verse 4, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here's what I know. Your family is going to walk through some dark valleys. Because every family walks through some dark valleys. We all go through difficult times. Your kids are going to face some evil. We can do the best we can to protect them, but they will see it. They will face it. They will experience it. 
But remember what David said here. He said, God is with you. God is with your child. You don't have to worry about them facing it alone because God is with them and God is with you. In Psalm 46, verse one, it says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. What's he saying here? He says, even when the world is falling apart around you, God is your refuge, amen? He is our place of shelter. He is our comfort. He is our helper. He's your helper. He is your strength. When you just don't think, you can go on. Moms, that day when you have to let go of your little prince or princess and let them bravely walk into that kindergarten class, or that day you take them to freshman orientation at college and you go get in the car and you leave them there for the first time and you can barely hold it together. Uh, just remember the words of David. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust and I'm not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? There are times we just have to entrust our children to God. Put them in his loving hands and know the fact that he cares for them even more than you and I care for our kids and grandkids. Know the fact that he'll be with them. Lean into him. The world we live in is a scary place. We see it every day. There's violence in the schools. There's violence um, in the stores. There's violence in the workplace. And sadly, there's violence in the home. And uh, sometimes we just feel like we'd like to wrap our kids in bubble wrap, right? And just kind of do the best we can to protect them from all the evil that's out there. But we can't do that. And know this, that God knew what he was doing and God put your child on this earth at this moment and he put them in your family because he knows that you can raise the right kids to do the right things in this environment. God knows what's going on. This is a special generation the two youngest generations that we have today are called Gen Z and Gen Alpha. Gen Z are those born from 1997 to 2015. So that, mean, that means they're eight to 26 years old. And then Gen Alpha, born 2016 through 2023, they are, they are birthed through seven years old. We don't have a lot of data you know, about the belief system of, of Gen Alpha because they're too young, but we have a lot of information about Gen Z and what's going on. This is a large generation. Gen Z is 74 million Americans uh, fall in this category. That's one in four Americans are now Gen Z. It's a large group of people. These young uh, people are digital natives. Uh, they've grown up with smartphones and social media, uh, on-demand entertainment. Uh, they're more diverse. They're more socially aware. They're more skeptical than any previous generation. They are uh, vastly different from their millennial predecessors. They're less religious. They're more success-oriented. They're more diverse. They're more captivated by technology, and they're more likely to embrace different views on sexual identity. The secu secularization of society has been a trend in the last several years, especially in the uh, Western world, and Gen Z are growing up in this new social context. According to a recent Barna study, uh, but children between the ages of 13 and 18 are twice as likely as adults to say that they are atheists. 
on a positive side, they embrace divergent perspectives. They're, they're more inclusive of other people than previous generations. They're, they're comfortable with people who are different. They tend to be less judgmental because of their differences. But on a negative side, they tend to be wary of declaring that some actions are morally wrong or simply incorrect. They seem to have a flexible moral compass. And so that leads them down unclear paths and prevents them from making decisions and judgments that are according to solid or biblical values and convictions. According to a recent report about Gen Z and the church, nearly 40% of young people ages 13 to 25 indicate that they are unaffiliated, agnostic, atheist, or nothing in particular. Uh, that number is skyrocketing over the last 20 years. We call this group the nuns. And it doesn't mean that they're necessarily atheists. It's just they have no religious affiliation. They're not saying they're atheists. They're just saying that they don't have any opinion on that whatsoever. One of the saddest statistics about this generation is that over 70% of them walk away from church after uh, high school. That's a terrible, terrible number. Church, we must do better, amen? amen? I can assure you that our staff is taking this very seriously. We meet and discuss regularly uh, the best ways that we can reach and disciple uh, this generation and the next generation. But if I can just be candid, parents, the lion's share of the responsibility falls upon you. And even more specifically, dads, your spiritual leadership in the home is critical in reaching this generation. Fathers need to step up to the plate and lead and get their families in church. You cannot outsource discipleship and then just hope that your kids are gonna turn out all right. It's kinda like the slogan at Home Depot, you can do it, we can help, right? That's kind of how we are at the church. You can do it. You can disciple your kids. We can help. And we'll do the best we can to help you raise godly kids. But you have to accept responsibility. You have to step up to the plate. One of the biggest reasons that 70% of this generation disconnects from church is because they see a difference between what mom and dad say on Sunday and what mom and dad do on Sunday and what mom and dad do Monday through Saturday. They see a disconnect and it doesn't make sense to them. Like, well, it, are, you know, is Jesus Lord seven days a week or is Jesus Lord one day a week? And, and that is a hard thing for them uh, to process. Gen Z can smell fake and phony a mile away. They just, it's just the way they've grown up. They, they, you know, everything on the phone, they've got to determine whether this is real or fake. And so they have, a, they have a phony meter that is very sensitive and they can tell whether something is real or whether it's not. So... Um, I think we need to make sure that we're doing the best that we can. Um, there are some things that we need to fix in the American church. I'm not necessarily an adventure, but in the church in America. Uh, the reality is many times church becomes too produced, and, uh, and, and we need to be careful of that. Church leaders, uh, we see many pastors that act more like celebrities than servants. Uh, too often, churches, you know, get up and they'll say we need to be involved in society, but they don't do anything in society. They don't get out into the community. They aren't out meeting the needs in the community. And Gen Z has a hard time processing that. Why we say that we are all about the community from the pulpit on Sunday, but we do nothing in the community Monday through Saturday. And so that's why we need to get out there. We need to be serving our community. We need to be loving on people. We need to be making a difference in our community. 
Folks, this is an all play. We're all involved in this. We all need to be part of this. We all must fight for our families. We must fight for each other's families. We must look out for each other's families because we're in this together, amen? So I want to share with you this morning three things, three specific ways that you and I can join the fight to protect our families. And if you're a note taker, here's number one. We must fight for them in prayer. We need to be regularly praying for the next generation. On our vision night uh, several weeks ago, uh, we had a table full of handprints. The kids all made handprints and they put their name on it. And uh, all, of those, all of those kids in the church that made those, you know, somebody took them and put them on the refrigerator at their house. I hope and pray that you're praying for that child, that you, you took their name and you put it on the refrigerator. I hope that every time you see that, you just pause for a moment and, and pray for that child. We've got to pray for our kids. Parents and grandparents, I hope that you're praying for your kids and grandkids every day. You know, maybe you say, well, I'm not sure what exactly I'm supposed to pray. I want to give you three specific things that you can pray for your kids and grandkids about today. Number one, pray for them to fear and reverence God. In Psalm 34, verse 11, it says, come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Pray and ask God that your kids would have a holy fear of God. Not that they're afraid of God, but that they would respect, that they would revere God, that they would hold him in high esteem. Scripture tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. So what would it look like to pray this verse for your kids? I just wanted to show you what that might look like. You might say, God, I pray that Johnny will learn to fear and respect you more today. I pray that you will keep his tongue from evil and his lips from telling lies. I pray that he would turn from evil and instead do good today. And I pray that he would pursue peace and whatever he faces today. You could pray a prayer just like that, just praying that verse with your child or grandchild and just pray that on a daily and regular basis. Once you've done this, you'll start to see that other scriptures uh, can be prayed back as well. And so I encourage you to do that. So, uh, you know, pray that they fear uh, God. Secondly, pray for them to be surrounded by divine favor. Psalm 5 verse 12 says, Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Do you want God's favor to rest upon your child or grandchild? Then pray and ask God that his favor would rest upon them. Ask that favor with teachers and with friends and employers as they get older would be upon them. Pray that God's favor would be upon all of their relationships. You know, sometimes, sometimes we think that Prayer has to be long and flowery and almost in a, in a King James language, but I want you to know it doesn't have to be that way. It can just be a very straightforward conversation with God. God, I pray that you'd give little Johnny your divine favor today. Surround them with your grace and shield them from evil. Amen. A simple prayer like that. Sometimes we think that prayers have to be long and complicated, but that's not the case. You've probably heard the phrase when someone sneezes, God bless you, right? Somebody sneezes, we say, God bless you. Where'd that start? Well, it started in the 14th century uh, in Europe during the bubonic plague, also known as the Black Death. It was widespread 
It was a devastating disease that often led to death. And because the very first sign of the disease was often a sneeze, when someone would sneeze, they would pray the short prayer, God bless you. Just a small prayer, God bless you, as a way, as a way to pray and that, that you wouldn't get the bubonic plague. And they started doing that. When somebody sneezed, they would say, God bless you. And by 1750, it was a common saying whenever somebody sneezed. And then a little later, the Germans started saying another phrase when somebody sneezed. Anybody know what that is? Gesundheit. Anybody know what Gesundheit means? Keep your germs to yourself. <laughs> I like that. I always thought it meant God bless you in German, and I was wrong. It just means health. That's what it means. It just means health. So it doesn't have anything to do with blessing you. So leave it to the Germans to mess up a good blessing. But <laughs> nevertheless, the point is you don't have to pray a long flowery prayer, but pray a prayer of God's blessing upon your children and your grandkids on a daily basis. The third thing I want to encourage you to do is pray that God uh, will give them godly friends and influencers. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. We need to pray that our kids and grandkids will be surrounded by good friends, good people who will help them make good choices. Listen, your kid's friend circle will have a significant influence in their life. So be praying that God would bring good kids and good people into the lives. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Um, I think that's a, a, a good thing for us to consider. Parents, I think this is too important of an issue for you to be clueless about your child's friends and your child's influencers. So help your kids to understand who good friends are and what a good friend does. Teach your kids to be that good friend. I was a youth pastor for four years before I became a pastor, and, and I've, seen, I've seen how just one, one friend that is not a, not a good, good influence can really derail uh, a kid's life. And so make sure that you are praying for your kids, that they would have good and godly friends. And, uh, and then work hard to surround your, your kids with good people. So the way we fight for the next generation is we pray for them. But secondly, we need to prioritize church. Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Mom and dad, if church is not a priority to you, I can almost assure you it will not be a priority to your kids. We need to stop making excuses for why we're not going to church. That's my only day off. Well, it's a family day and we like to go out hiking or boating or uh, something else. We go, go to the beach. Or our kids are on a sports team and we have games and practices on Sunday. Parents, you need to ask yourself a question. Are you more interested in raising athletes or Christians? I'm all for sports. I like sports. All my kids played sports. 
But you need to make a stand. But on Sundays and Wednesdays, my kids are going to be in church. And if, and, if, and if the sports team is missing my child on those days, they're going to have to play without him. But for us, church is a priority over sports 100% of the time. And uh, I, I, think, I think that's something that many parents have kind of, you know, gone weak on. Listen, being an athlete has an expiration date. Being a Christian is for eternity. You need to make sure that your kids are hearing the word of God, that they're in church, and that they're in youth group. Uh, you need all the help you can get to disciple these kids. So if, if sports are on Sunday or Wednesday, you need to get them in church. This is just another way that in, uh, culture has influenced our families and have made them make tough choices between sports and church, and unfortunately, many are choosing sports. And uh, I think they should be able to do both sports and church just as long as they don't conflict. So parents, I challenge you to stand up uh, for your family. Um, if your commitment to church is one Sunday a week or on holidays, it's just simply not enough. Your kids will most likely be part of the 70% who walk away from church afterwards. If it's not a priority to you, I can almost guarantee it will not be a priority to them. They will graduate and they will barely come back to church. And this idea that, oh, well, they'll get out, and they'll go to college, but then they'll come back after. You know, that may have happened for a while, but that's not happening much today. Parents, you have a brief period of time to influence your kids and build good and godly habits into their life and give them the moral reason why we go to church and why we are there and why we want to learn and why we want to worship God. And if you fail to do that, don't be surprised when your kids don't go to church as they get older. Third, we need to pass our faith on to the next generation. Psalm 145 verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Can I ask you, what are you doing to commend God's works to the next generation? What are you individually doing to pass on your faith to the next generation? To make a difference in Gen Z and Gen Alpha, which is coming right behind them. Parents and grandparents, it starts with you because you will have the greatest impact in your family. So I encourage you to make it a priority to disciple your kids. Your home needs to be a safe place where kids can get answers to their toughest questions. Jonathan Morrow, a professor at Biola, said this, and I liked what he said. He said, one of the biggest gifts you can give to the Gen Zer in your household is a safe place for them to ask questions and express doubts and process what they interact with because their whole experience is being narrated by the culture, by the media, by Netflix, and everything else. Parents, our home needs to be that safe place where the kids can ask questions. Next, church family, it's up to you. We need to get involved as well. All of us. We all play a part in this. We all have the responsibility of reaching, training, and discipling the next generation. So I encourage you, volunteer in youth and children's ministry. 
drive the kids to youth group on Wednesday night. Step up to buy pizza and snacks for youth group and bring it there on Wednesday nights. Be a mentor. Coordinate with Pastor Sean and Aubrey to pair up with the teenager to mentor them, to encourage them, to pray for them. Adopt a college student that's going off to college and help them navigate this, this tricky situation, this transition. I don't have all the answers of ways that you can get involved, but I challenge you to figure it out. Find out what you can do and then do it. Some of you have been blessed financially. Use some of your resources to help the next generation. You know, we're building this new facility that's strategically designed for reaching the next generation. We are putting all kinds of resources in it to reach this next generation. Why? Because that's how much we believe that it is important, absolutely necessary that we invest in reaching the next generation. There's so many different ways to get involved. Some involve your time, some involve your finances, some involve you just volunteering, but they all involve a commitment to fight for the next generation. Listen, don't be part of the generation that sits back and wags their head and says, oh, just look at these kids today. Oh, look at this generation. If you're not willing to get involved in the fight, in the end, we need, we need to do just what Nehemiah said after he looked things over. He stood up and he said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. We need to not be afraid of those out in the world. Why? Because we need to remember the Lord that he is great and awesome. Amen? And then we need to fight for our families and for our sons and our daughters and our wives and our homes. We need to pray like we've never prayed. We need to prioritize church attendance and being intentional in our discipleship of our kids. We need to pass on our faith to the next generation. The stakes are high for these generations. The builders, the boomers, Gen X, the millennials. We need to step up for Gen Z and Gen Alpha. We need to fight for them. We need to stand with them. We need to help them. So my question for you today is what can you do to help reach the next generation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and our heart breaks for these kids, Gen Z and Gen Alpha, how much they need to hear your truth. God, I pray that you would help each person in this room to accept responsibility for training and teaching and rearing and encouraging and blessing and praying for the next generation. God, they are facing a secular culture that hasn't been seen in a long, long time. So God, I pray that you'd help them and help us to help them. God, I pray for the moms and dads in this room. Uh, God, that you would, you would fill them with your presence, that you'd give them your strength that you would encourage them, that you would help them, that you would walk with them, that you would that you would quell their fears, God, that they would just lean into you, that they would trust in you. And God, that they would just do their best for your honor and for your glory. And God, I pray for us as a church that we would take seriously the responsibility of reaching the next generation. Father, that every man, woman, and child in Collier County in, in East Naples, God, would have the opportunity to hear the gospel and respond in faith and trust in Christ. Help us as we reach into the schools and onto the sports teams. Help us, Father, as we 
go out and provide food to those who are in need and as we seek to encourage the under-resourced and the overburdened in our community, God, help us as a church to be light in the midst of darkness, that we would truly be a church that shares with the next generation who you are, what you've done, and the truth of the gospel. So, Father, we can't do it without you. We lean into you. We look for your provision. We look for your strength. We look for your help. God, may everything we do bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen.